Lord, we serve a living Savior, and that is you. Our hope is in that. And Lord, we know that, that you will see us through anything, that you are the truth, you are the answer, no matter what comes at us in life. And you are worthy of that praise. You are worthy of that honor because you and you alone are holy. Lord, soften our hearts, open our minds. We need your word. We need it in our lives. Lord, let us hear what you have to say to us this morning. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, good morning, church. It is so good to be with you this morning and to, I can't think of a better thing to do to follow up that time of worship than to hear from our Lord, from his word. Amen. Amen. So that's what we're going to do. If you have a copy of God's word, would you take it and open it to the letter of 2 Peter chapter 1. And as you do that, I just want to quickly touch on a few announcements that were highlighted in our Salem Heights Today announcement video. Uh, first off, tools for school this week. We're focusing on uh, children who are in need of school supplies, they're going to be heading to school here in a few weeks. And we're working with three different um, organizations here in Salem that work with mothers who are in need and their children. And these children most likely will not be able to go to school with the, just the first day school supplies uh, because the mom doesn't have the finances. And so we want to bless those children. We have the backpacks ready and a school supply list. You can go and serve those families this week. So we have uh, some of those out there if you'd like to participate in that. And then also next week, our, our church-wide barbecue. This is a special time. We're three services now as a church, and this is an event for all of us to come together next Saturday, starting at 12 o'clock out here in the park. Uh, it's free. We're going to have a great spread of food. We're going to have games uh, for adults and for kids. Uh, we're also going to be spending a time with doing Lord's Supper, and we have 15 people right now signed up to be baptized in the park, and so it's going to be an amazing time. Uh, we're going to have our leadership team's going to be there. It's going to be great. So bring your own chair. Come find an awesome spot in the park and join us next week. We hope to see you there. Our focus this summer has been on this letter written by the Apostle Peter, and we've been focusing on the opening thoughts of this letter for about eight weeks now. And as we have been studying this week, as I was studying our text for this morning, it just struck me the fact that even though this is Peter's letter and Peter is writing to a specific group of people that he cared deeply about, it struck me that these are not just Peter's words. And the value for us this morning to read this section of scripture and to actually glean something for ourselves that has eternal value, the ability to penetrate your heart but penetrate your mess, but penetrate anything you're going through right now and actually encourage you, inspire you, give you course correction. The value and the trustworthiness of this text comes not because Peter was a great man, but because these are the very words of God spoken and given to Peter and he penned them out as he was writing to these believers who were being persecuted. And so there is great value in looking at the scriptures every Sunday. And so this morning, as we take one final look at this section of 2 Peter and kind of wrap up our, our summer-long look at this letter, I want to encourage you to approach this morning believing that God could do something in your heart and mind this morning that could change you forever. Do you believe that? Amen. If you're ready, say ready. ready. 
All right, would you please stand with me as we read God's word? We're going to read the co- entire context of our summer series, 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 15. The apostle Peter, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, wrote these down. Seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness, through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. For by these he has granted to us precious and magnificent promises, so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. Now for this very reason also, applying all diligence, in your faith supply moral excellence, and in your moral excellence, knowledge, and in your knowledge, self-control, and in self-control, perseverance, and in your perseverance, godliness, and in your godliness, brotherly kindness, and in your brotherly kindness, love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these qualities is blind and short-sighted, having forgotten his purification from his former sins. Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing you. For as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. For in this way, the entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will be abundantly supplied to you. Therefore, I will always be ready to remind you of these things, even though you already know them and have been established in the truth which is present with you. I consider it right, as long as I am in this earthly dwelling, to stir you up by way of reminder, knowing that the laying aside of my earthly dwelling is imminent, as our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. And I will be diligent that at any time after my departure, you will be able to call these things to mind. Do you believe there's something in there for us this morning? There is. You may be seated. I just want to pause one more time and pray that God would give us great clarity this morning. Would you join me in prayer? God, I thank you for each person uh, that's in the building this morning. I thank you for your word. God, I pray that you would clear our minds of the things that we brought into the church this morning, the things that have been going on in our lives and in our hearts and our minds. And that your Holy Spirit would speak to every heart. It would give us something to consider that causes us to worship and follow you. I pray this in your son's beautiful name. Amen. I wanted to start our time this morning by kind of reminding us of the cultural context that Peter's audience was in when he was writing this letter to them. I think it's important because it's going to help us as we focus in on verses 12 through 15, this last passage or last portion of this passage this morning. In the introduction of our notes, it says, in his commentary on First and Second Peter, Louis Barbieri highlights a significant threat that the early church had to face in addition to persecution from Rome. Barbieri writes, in light of the persecution believers were experiencing, Peter determined to write to exhort them concerning God's grace in their lives. As time passed, however, it became obvious that a far greater problem was developing within the churches. Between the writing of his first and second letters, Peter became aware of the fact that false teachers were beginning to creep into the congregations, and he knew that great difficulties would follow. He wrote the second letter, therefore, to warn believers against false teachers who would enter the flock and urge them to grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Sadly, The church faces the same threat today, but as we will be reminded this morning, the greatest weapon against false teaching and wrong ideas is the Word of God. So I want to highlight three things that we see specifically in Peter as he's writing these words. 
um, in verses 12 through 15. And in light of that threat, the threat that not only were they going to suffer persecution for standing outside of the popular accepted view, standing for Christ in a world that was not ready, not wanting to hear about Christ, not wanting to surrender their lives, in addition to persecution, they were also, there was a threat of false teaching. And so in light of that threat, we see in verse 12 that Peter makes a pledge. And that his pledge would be this, that he'd be ready at all times to remind them of the precious and magnificent promises available to them through Christ. We all need reminders. I've uh, worked a number of different jobs. And if you were to know uh, Pete uh, when he was a teenager, uh, he would not be someone that you would think was very organized. Uh, my room was usually really messy. Uh, clean clothes never got hung up. They were just in a certain portion of the floor. Uh, I, I didn't really take studies seriously. I, I could be absent-minded at times. And it was through kind of uh, college and dating a, a really great girl that I eventually married where I knew I had to get serious if I wanted people to take me serious. And then God began to use that, that desire. And, and over time, I've become quite, an, I, I get kind of pleasure in having checklists and to-do lists. Maybe you're kind of the same way. Uh, we kind of started back, you know, the, the old-fashioned way was to actually have a notebook or a journal that you would write in and you would write a to-do list and you'd have, here's what I need to do today. And there could be great satisfaction of crossing something out or checking a box. But then over time, we realized that that journal, we might not always take it with us because it might be a notebook. And so, uh, and some of us, are like, if you're like me, are more visual. And so we developed the post-it note, right? And we'd put post-it notes everywhere. And, and I have a picture of that where uh, for some of you, depending on how organized you are, you need a lot of post-its, right? You got to put them everywhere. But why did we do this? Because it was helpful to write it down, but it was also helpful to have it visually, to have it visually. But even, even then, sometimes it's a little small writing as our eyes get weaker, as we get older, we need it in a bigger format. And so we'll put a whiteboards in our offices and we have whiteboards, we'll write it out so that we can look it up and we can make sure that we have our checklist and everything that we need to do very organized and very detailed. And now we've, with the develop of smartphones, we can have reminders put in us because it's not just good enough to write it in a journal that we might not take with us everywhere. And it's not good just to have it in one place. We need to have it with us at all times to be reminded. We can turn on bells and we can turn on whistles and our phone will vibrate and remind us that we have something to do. All of these things exist in my life. If you were to go into my office, you would see post-it notes on my desk. You'd see a whiteboard on my wall. I can show you the different folders I have of all of my itemized things for my week and my schedule. But you know the reality is? I still forget things. I don't know about you, but I can have all those things going off, and there'll be something that my wife will remind me. I'm like, how did I forget that? Did we even talk about that? Was I awake? And it's yes, you were, and yes, you said yes. <laughs> so there's one more thing that we can do to help us remember important things. Even in the adventure of all these reminders, it's to have somebody else remind us. And this is what Peter was committing to to these believers in the early church. Peter was committing to be that guy. Look again at verse 12. It says, Therefore, I will always be ready to remind you of these things even though you already know them and have been established in the truth which is present with you. Peter 
is going to remind them of these things. Now, in order to understand what these things are, and if this is your first Sunday, we're, we're so glad that you're here. We've been in a, in a long study this summer on just this first portion of Second Peter. All those messages are available through our website. You can go back and listen to them. But there's a list of qualities that we read through as we read our text where Peter's saying, now because you are in Christ, you have believed that Jesus is your Savior. You believe that he's the only one that can make you whole. He's the only one that can deal with your sin problem. And now you're in relationship with God because God's very Holy Spirit lives inside you. Because of that, now you have these access to these great and precious promises. And because now you have new potential. And you can begin to live in a different way. You can add these qualities to your life. Not because of your own strength or your own intellect or because you've accomplished a certain level of education or you have a certain level of money in your bank account. No, because you're in Christ, you can begin to be changed. It's one of the most beautiful things because sometimes when we talk about salvation, we think of the gospel as a past event and a future event. It's what saved me in the past and what gets me into heaven. And we forget the fact that he says, this is eternal life, that you may know God and the one whom he sent, Jesus Christ, his son. Do you know that eternal life starts now? You don't have to wait to get to heaven to begin to be transformed into the image of our Savior, the Son of God. And so because of this, Peter's going to say, I am committing to be that guy that constantly reminds you of these things you already know. I'm going to be that guy. I'm going to remind you that you have everything that you need for life and godliness. Everything you need to overcome temptation, to have victory in your life on those, those sins that you, you just tend to always kind of veer off towards when you're not walking in the Spirit. You have what you need through Christ. He's going to remind them that Christ had the ability to put on these new qualities and make them useful and fruitful as citizens of the kingdom of God, left here on earth to be his ambassadors. You have the ability, whether or not you're called into full-time ministry, as a part of the body of Christ, you have the ability to be a fruitful contributor to God's work. It could be in your marriage. It could be in your family. It could be at your workplace. It could be at a little league park, it could be standing in the line of the grocery store, you have in Christ now been equipped to be part of that work. And Peter says, I'm ready to remind you. I'm making this pledge to you to constantly remind you. And then we see next is Peter's plan. Peter's plan was then to continually stir up these believers by reminding them of God's word as long as they remain, as long as he remained on earth. Verse 13, Peter writes, I consider it right as long as I'm in this earthly dwelling to stir you up by way of reminder, knowing that the laying aside of my earthly dwelling is imminent, also, as also our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. This is one of those phrases that in my Bible, as I was studying this text, I kept um, circling this, this phrase, stir you up. Peter says, this is what's right for me to do is to stir you up. I did a little study on that phrase and, and what that, that phrase is intended to express to the readers that I am going to be causing you to come awake. I'm going to refresh your memory. I'm going to help stimulate your thinking. My desire is that you would be clear-headed and see things as they really are. What does that imply, though? If I need to be stirred up, that means that I might not be awake. I not be, might not be as alert as possible. I don't know about you, but um, I tend to be the type, and there's nothing I, I don't think I can do about this. Um, when I fall asleep, if I get woken up suddenly right after I fall asleep, 
I don't like it. I don't think I've liked it one single time in my life. <laughs> I'm, I'm usually not a very nice person. I just like, what's going on? Or, and this is something my dad always used to do, and I thought, I hated it when he did this, but this is what I'm doing. It's if I happen to be watching TV, and I'm starting to fall asleep, and my kids want to turn the channel, and I, I'm watching that, <laughs> right? You know, being stirred up sometimes is not, not always pleasant. But Peter says, whether it's pleasant or not for you, it's right for me to do this because there is a real danger that is lurking. There is a real need for me to do this because there is a danger of you being deceived. And the thing about deception is you usually don't know you're being deceived. You don't see it. But he says, this is a real danger for people to come into the church who on the outside, they know all the lingo. They can talk about Jesus, but they are not there to help you grow closer to your Lord. They are there with the wrong motivations. They are there to push their own agenda, focus on their own things, and perhaps even tell you something that's not true about God. Peter, knowing that this is the reality, writes this letter if you look at chapter 3 for just a second, turn over maybe a page in your Bible. Peter kind of gives us a highlight of, of why he wrote this letter. He says in chapter 3, verse 1, This is now, beloved, the second letter I'm writing to you, in which I am stirring up, there's that term again, your sincere mind by way of reminder that you would remember the words spoken beforehand by the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior spoken by your apostles. This wasn't just the case for the audience that Peter was talking to. If you were to take some time this week and go back and read through the letter that Paul wrote to the Galatian church. In chapter 3, Paul asked the question, who has bewitched you? And that word bewitched means who has deceived you? Who has caused you to follow something different than the pure gospel which you already believed? This was a danger back right after Jesus lived on this earth and went back to heaven. In the early church, this was a real threat. And in church, this is a real threat today. And so Peter says, this is the right thing for me to do as I live out my remaining days on earth is to stir you up by way of reminder, to, to awaken you, to bring to light. Maybe what you don't even realize is beginning to entangle you and start to develop roots in your heart and mind. And so from Peter's perspective, this was a real danger and not something that should be ignored. And so Peter's pledge is he's going to be that guy and his plan is to continually stir them up and here is his purpose. Here is what he wants to accomplish. In verse 15, it says, And I will also be diligent that at any time after my departure, you will be able to call these things to mind. Peter's purpose is that they'd be able to remember all that they had been taught after he was gone. Peter knew that his time was short. If you go back and read in the Gospel of John, Jesus predicted that Peter would die. He would die a martyr's death. He would not be alive to see the return of the Lord. And Peter knew that that time was getting close. The word he uses there is imminent. At any moment, it could happen. And so in light of that, Peter is writing this letter. And you can hear his passion as he, as he concludes the letter. Back to chapter 3, verse 17, he says this, You there, therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, be on your guard, 
so that you are not carried away by the error of unprincipled men and fall away from your own steadfastness. This was his desire. This was his purpose. Why was he going to be committed to diligently reminding them of God's word and all the promises that they had in Christ? Why was he going to continually stir them up, which he knows might not always be welcome, not always be wanted by those believers? It's because he wanted them to be able to remember those things after he was gone, that they would still have a a defense against false teaching even after he was martyred. And so both in his life and in his works, Peter leaves this behind. And so what we're observing in this text, what I want you to see is that these are marks of a faithful shepherd. Shepherd is another word we use in the church for pastor or elder. Uh, it's, it comes from the words that are used to describe that role in the church as God equips and gifts men to calls them to that role. The Bible refers to them as a shepherd. It refers to the Lord being a shepherd. And now we are as pastors under shepherds, we are called to, to shepherd God's flock in little smaller flocks called the church, a local church. But I believe that these are the qualities that we should look for in our pastors. These are the qualities that you should be observing and looking for. And if they're not there, you should raise your hand. You should, you should ask the question, well, where are these qualities? Because here are the marks of a faithful shepherd. A faithful shepherd is committed to remind the church to constantly be about what God's word has said every week. A faithful shepherd is committed to stirring up believers, to loving them enough to come alongside and say, we got to deal with this because this is going to hinder your relationship with God. This is going to stunt your effectiveness for him and his work. And a faithful shepherd is going to constantly, diligently try to teach people to study God's word on their own so that they don't They don't have to rely on a person, but they can take God's word that's been left for them and be able to draw close to God. Those are the marks of a faithful shepherd. Those are righteous ministry motivations. And if in a pastor you see a motivation that's not taking people to God's word, stirring them up in love, and then teaching them so that they can follow God in their own walk with God, if they have another motivation that's for themselves or for an idea that's not in scripture but their own that they want to push out there, that's a warning flag. That should be a sign that that teacher might not be righteous in their motivations. Beware of that. And that's why we want you to bring your own Bibles every week. Don't take my word for it. Don't take Justin or Carl or Matt or any of our guest preachers' word for it. You look and say, is that what your Bible says? Hold us accountable to that. Because God's word is the most important treasure that we have that we need to take care of and protect. So I love this text for that reason. Who would have thought in these little four verses here that we'd be able to see, man, this is a blueprint for what we should be looking for in our pastors. This is what they're about. And I would say I'm thankful for our pastors. I'm thankful for their commitment to this. But I also see three reminders for us today. Three reminders for us today. Three things that we need to take out of these verses as we're talking about being reminded. I think there are three reminders. And so I'm going to be the one today to remind you of a few things that we see here in the text. The first is this. Our greatest weapon against false teaching and wrong ideas is the word of God. It was good enough for Jesus. It's good enough for us. 
Remember Jesus, right after he's baptized, says the Spirit leads him into the wilderness. And while he's in the wilderness for 40 days, fasting and praying, talking with the Father, that Satan comes and tempts Jesus three different times, trying to get Jesus to do something that would disqualify him. And all three times, instead of getting into intellectual battles or physical confrontations, Jesus responds with the word of God to the temptations, and Satan leaves. Our greatest weapon against false teaching is the word of God. How do you want to know if someone's teaching something falsely, if they're teaching something contrary to what God's word says? You got to know the word of God. You got to know it for yourself. You got to be in it. But I also put in there wrong ideas because sometimes it's not just doctrine or theology that we kind of get mixed up in. It's when our feelings don't necessarily align with what God is calling us to. And we develop wrong ideas about what we should be about and how fair life has been and what our, our purpose should be. And, and we can allow wrong ideas, man-made ideas, begin to influence our choices that are at the same time impacting our relationship with God. God's word is what's going to combat you from relying on your own intellect, which I guarantee you will not lead you to the life that God has for you. We cannot produce spiritual things on our own ability. You can produce a good life from man's standards. You can be very successful. You can be in a position of authority. You can have lots of wealth. But you cannot accomplish the life that God has for you in your own power. And God's word will protect you from leaning on your own understanding. So our greatest weapon is God's word. Peter was passionate to remind them of this because our enemy is not passive. In his first letter, just a couple pages before he writes in our Bibles, he says in 1 Peter 5, 8, be of sober spirit, be on alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. He is looking for someone who has begun to rely on themselves and not be in God's word. He's looking for someone who he keep in to distort. And I'll tell you this, deception again is often not recognized and deception is obviously something that sounds very, very close to the truth. But if you stay following that deception over time, the gap between truth and reality becomes very, very big. He's looking for those who've said, I've got it. I've got my Christian thing figured out and now I'm gonna just start doing it on my own. Thanks God for the help. Thanks for the boost. Thanks for the push. I've got it from here. I'm reminded again of, of what Paul says to the Galatians who were struggling with some of these same problems of false teachers. He says, why would you try to maintain something that you did not have the power to start or secure? Why do you think that you can maintain your Christianity when you couldn't even become a Christian on your own? Couldn't you deal with your sin on your own? So a question for you this morning is this. How often have you been in the Word? I know for many of you, it's been every day this week. For some of you, it's been regularly. But for some of you, maybe it's been a few weeks. It's summer. Kids are out of school. It's hard to, to do it. Maybe your, your normal routine is out of whack. Or perhaps you're sitting in a dry season where you try, but man, it's just not getting anything out of it. It's just words on a piece of paper. Let me encourage you to do this. Don't stop going to God's word. Don't crack the door open for something to get in that can begin to deceive you. Well, Pete, I already know that. 
Peter, we didn't have to come to church to hear that. Yes, God's word's important. But what is Peter saying? We need to be reminded, and that's our second thing that I want to see. Every believer needs to be regularly reminded of the truth found in God's word. Uh, This summer, I got to lead a trip to Latvia, and so that meant several airplane rides to the other side of the world and back. And uh, I don't know if you've ever paid attention when you come in and you look and you see the usually the cockpit doors open before the plane, you know, starts. And sometimes you see all those gadgets and gizmos, and for some of you, you're like, ooh, you just want to go push them and see what happens. (laughs) Um, If you have a little child, sometimes I'll let them sit in the sea, and they'll give them a little pair of wings, and it's a big deal to little kids because it's just, I mean, but that looks intimidating. What if our cars were like that, (laughs) right? But one of the things I noticed on these pilots is is every time these pilots get on, and oftentimes the pilots, they they fly, there's a pilot and a co-pilot, oftentimes they don't know each other. They just were scheduled to fly that flight together. And they get together, and every time, no matter how many years of flying experience, no matter how many flights they've completed successfully, takeoffs and landings, every single time, they both sit down together, they take out these ledgers, they have these checklists, and they begin to go through, and they talk to each other, and they work with each other to make sure that every single button is working. Every single gauge is firing. Everything is done, because in the air, little problems become big problems in a hurry. It doesn't matter how many years they've done it, They don't want to just rely on, well, I'm pretty sure I know how to do that, so I don't need to check that. No, I need to check it now. The same is true for believers. Even mature believers need to be reminded. Look what he says here in verse 12. I will always be ready to remind you of these things, even though you already know them and have been established in the truth which is present in you. He's not speaking necessarily to just believers who are kind of new to the faith and didn't really know how to kind of tell the difference between false teaching and godly teaching. No, he's talking to people who know the truth, they believe it for themselves, and they're established in it. They're settled, they're strengthened. They're trying to walk and live in this newness of life in Christ. And he's saying, I'm going to be reminding you too because we all need to be reminded. How are you being reminded? Personal time in the Word of God is an important thing. Coming to church on a Sunday is also a really great opportunity, especially in a Bible-teaching church, because you're going to be reminded of what God's Word says if they let God's speak, and we let God speak for himself here. But he's also placed you into a community, a family, the church. And he has called us to be reminding each other. If you want to hold your place here in 2 Peter and turn with me to the left to Hebrews chapter 10, I want to show you one passage where we see this addressed to Christians, this this charge, this reminder to remind each other. And we're going to see some similar language. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23. It says, Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, He's saying, let us stay faithful to what we believe. For he who is promised is faithful. We see that word promise again, which Peter talks about, promises. And the one who made those promises, you can bank on those promises because it's been settled in his death, burial, and resurrection. Look at verse 24. And let us, this is all the people, all of us in here, let us consider how to stimulate not just ourselves, but one another. 
There's that word stimulate, similar to stirring them up. How can we stir up one another to love and good deeds? Not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. You and I are called to remind each other. So how are you being reminded? Next Saturday, one of the things about this barbecue that I don't want to kind of get glossed over is this is an opportunity. We're going to have our small group leaders out there. There's going to be opportunities to get into a small group this fall. There's going to be opportunities to sign up for men's and women's discipleship. There's going to be additional opportunities beyond your personal time and beyond Sunday morning for you to get with other believers from Salem Heights Church and remind each other of the God's word, which is so important because we don't have a passive enemy. And folks, I know how busy you are. Again, let my 18 forms of reminders tell you how busy that I am as well. And for a long time before I joined the staff here at church, I was attending Salem Heights Church, but I wasn't as plugged in as I could have been. I still came, but I was finding community in other places and I wasn't making a priority. And then through the invitation of other people at Salem Heights, hey, would you come and be a part of the small group? I said, sure, I'll, I'll do that. Sounds like a good thing to do. But God began to use that to grow me even deeper. To not only help me get to know other people, for them to get to know me so they could lovingly help me, remind me of the truth that I need to know. We, we literally have small groups at all different days. We have discipleship groups at all different times of the day. But yes, you will have to make a choice to do it, but we're called to remind each other. And it's not just about what you're gonna get out of it. God is calling you to come and find ways that you could stimulate, stir up each other to love and good deeds. You not participating in that actually, it actually impacts other believers who could glean something from the God's spirit in you to them. So I wanna encourage you, next Saturday is gonna be that opportunity and then the following two Sundays here at church, consider where you can get plugged in to be reminded. But there's one more thing that I want us to be reminded of this morning from the text, and it's this. A perspective of imminency will inspire diligence and clarify our priorities. A perspective of imminency will inspire diligence and clarify our priorities. Let me ask you a question. If you were to wake up this morning, if you were to have gone into your kitchen and you saw this coming out of one of your electrical outlets... I'm going to give you two options. Would you A, you don't have to answer out loud, you can answer in loud. Would you A, go, hmm, I need some coffee before I deal with that. Or two, <laughs> would you go and tell whoever else is in the house, hey, hey, there's something going on here. I need you to get up, get outside, you know, and, and we, we got to figure this out. We got to diagnose what's causing this, turn off the power. Or would you possibly wait till you saw this to do that? Maybe the first one's, oh yeah, that, that happens all the time. <laughs> but now maybe, you know, would you use this to toast your bread or your bagel? Or would you like, okay, now we have a serious problem. Or would you wait till this before you were really starting to think, okay, I need to get everybody out of the house? Because this is no joke, right? If that were to happen, that'd be very, very traumatic. That's life or death right there. But do you understand that started with a sign? That there was, there was a sign of smoke there before the fire took over the whole house. And it doesn't take long to catch a whole fire, the whole house to catch on fire. It can spread fast. You see, real danger is not something to be ignored. And Peter 
It says that his death is imminent. And that word imminent in the dictionary is defined as ready to take place, happening soon. Peter knew that his time on earth was short. And that inspired him to be diligent, to, to do the things that God, that he knew what was right in God's eyes and to do them, even though it might be hard, it might be inconvenient, it might be met with opposition. He said, I'm gonna be diligent. Diligent means I'm gonna be steady. I'm gonna be consistent. I'm gonna do the work even if it is painstaking because that is what's, that's what I'm called to do and my time is short and because my end is imminent, I, I can't wait for this thing to get bigger. I can't wait for false teaching to become a whole fire engulfing the whole church. I've got to deal with it now. We've got to stop this problem. In fact, before we even start to see smoke from the outlet, I need to be checking the wires. I need to be checking the breaker box. I need to be making sure that, that the house is safe. Imminency creates a sense of urgency. If you see the picture, the first picture smoke, you should do something about that. That's a real danger. But it should also clarify your priorities. It shouldn't be, okay, I'm going to take care of that after I have coffee. It's right now, this is the number one thing because this is the most real danger. Followers of Christ. There are some imminent things in our lives. The, the imminent danger of false teaching and being deceived and being led away from God is a real danger. Please, please believe that. But there's also imminent things. The Bible tells us we don't know how many days we have on this earth. But we have today, we have this moment. So that's imminent. And there's also one more big imminent Thing coming, and that is the imminent return of Christ. At any moment, any time, since he left, he said, it's not for you to know the time or the hour, but at any moment, I can return, and I'm going to get my church. I'm going to pull them out of here, and they're going to be with me. At any moment, he can come back. What has he left us here to do in the meantime, in the in-between? He's called us to be his ambassadors. He's called us to be stirring each other up to love and good deeds. He's called us to get outside the walls of our church and reach those far from Jesus. Even in Peter's day, there were mockers. Look what he says there at the end, or excuse me, in chapter three again. He says in chapter three, verse three, Peter says, know this first of all, that in the last days, mockers will come with their mocking, following after their own lust and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all continues just as it was from the beginning of creation. Peter is saying, even back then, several thousand years ago, here was gonna be the mocker saying, where is he? You're putting all your hope in Jesus coming back for you? Where is he? Nothing's changed. Why are you believing that? This is a false teaching. This is a false idea, a wrong idea about God. And so this is what Peter responds in verse nine of chapter three. He says, the Lord is not slow about his promise as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. Like Peter, we must make the most of our days. Faithfulness will require diligence. But his imminent return and the imminent danger of false teaching should create an urgency in us to be in God's word, to know it, to be reminding each other and to be taking that light into a dark world. It should clarify our priorities. And so the last question for us this morning is this. 
Do your priorities reflect an anticipation of Christ's soon return? Are the things that you're focusing on in your life, does that reflect that you believe that Christ can come at any moment and I want to be found doing his work, focusing on his priorities, being about his gospel when he comes back? Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for this study this summer. I thank you for the, the new life we have through your son. I thank you for the opportunity to worship you and to be guided by you and to be able to put on these qualities, these supernatural, spirit-created qualities that not only are a benefit to us, but they're a benefit to, to your work and they equip us to be effective ministers of your gospel, God. And this morning, I just pray, Lord, that you would never cause us to become lazy, never cause us to become deceived, but that we would realize the thread of false teaching and realize the soonness of your return and that we would be motivated to live for you, to be what you're about and to take advantage of these great and precious promises that we have through your son. We thank you so much for your love and we pray this in your son's beautiful name. Amen.